0: Today is Saturday, February 24th, and today marks exactly two years since Russia first invaded Ukraine. U.S. officials have said about half a million people have been killed since the war started. And the Brookings Institute reports some 14 million Ukrainians have fled their homes, representing the largest human displacement crisis in the world today. And yet, right now, there is no end in sight. Two years ago, we spoke with expert Fred Kagan within hours of the first attacks. He's been closely tracking the war ever since. And today, he's back to share an update and his take on what might come next. Fred Kagan is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and the director of its Critical Threats Project, a nonpartisan group that analyzes threats of the U.S. and our allies and provides recommendations to federal government leaders, the military, and the general public. He's won the prestigious Medal for Distinguished Public Service from the U.S. Defense Department. Today, he's clarifying how U.S. funding for Ukraine's war effort is actually used, And what message he thinks it sends when America holds off on sending more. As of now, the Senate has approved more assistance for Ukraine, Israel, and other allies, but the House has not voted on that bill, which means the aid package has stalled, and it's unclear if it'll go through. Fred Kagan is sharing his insights and, in some cases, his opinion based on his expertise. Today's interview also gets into the role of NATO, the new and alarming actions Russia has taken recently and what all of this might mean for American citizens here at home. Welcome, welcome to the Newsworthy Special Edition Saturday, when we sit down with a different expert or celebrity every Saturday to talk about something in the news. Don't forget to tune in every Monday through Friday for our regular episodes, where we provide all the day's news in 10 minutes. I'm Erica Mandy. It's now time for today's Special Edition Saturday. Fred Kagan, thank you so much for joining us here on the Newsworthy.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: So we actually spoke to you two years ago, just hours after Russia invaded Ukraine. Let's go back and kind of give a brief explanation of the current state of Russia's war on Ukraine today and what has really stood out to you that's changed over the last two years.
1: The current state of the war is that the the Russians have the initiative across almost the entire theater and are conducting offensive operations all, all throughout eastern Ukraine. But the Russians really have not figured out how to do attacks, offensive operations uh, much better than they've been trying for some time. So they're still taking horrific losses to make very small gains. But we're at a dangerous moment because with the stalling out of, of U.S. assistance and the fact that it's, it's not clear whether there will be US, uh, more U.S. military assistance, the Russians may be able to start making more dramatic gains in the coming weeks or months. And that things could become much more dynamic in a, in what would be a very, very bad way.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. You know, obviously, the U.S. has sent billions of dollars already to Ukraine over the last two years, but Ukraine is saying it needs more, um, as you just mentioned. So as we're seeing kind of this back and forth in Congress about whether to send additional aid, what message, if any, do you think some of that is sending to Russia and or, you know, our allies?
1: So the first thing is, uh, yes, of course, it is true that the U.S. has sent billions of dollars—literally billions of dollars—to Ukraine. But most of what you, the U.S. has sent has actually been material, with the money going to Americans, not to not being sent to Ukraine. So I, I do think it's important that we be very careful and precise about how you know billions of dollars being sent to Ukraine, because that's increasingly not true.
0: Explain that more for people.
1: Yeah. So the U.S. is sending equipment and ammunition overwhelmingly to Ukraine and, and we're paying ourselves to train Ukrainians. So we're paying operations funds for U.S. soldiers and contractors to train Ukrainians. And then we're a lot of the money that is being allocated is money to replenish U.S. stockpiles as we give Ukrainians equipment. The net effect of that is because we're giving the Ukrainians older equipment and we're buying new equipment. It's also facilitating effectively the modernization of the American military arsenal. So there's a very important dynamic here that is really has been lost in a lot of this discussion.
0: And so by hesitating on sending more aid to Ukraine, what is that telling Russia?
1: Well, it sends a devastating message. Some people are talking about, you know, they're concerned about sending so much stuff to Ukraine because they they want to be able to deter China from invading Taiwan. But think about what we're talking about there. US strategy for defending Taiwan, which is a country of about 24 million people against invasion by China, which is a country of a billion people. And Taiwan, of course, is an island. Actually defending Taiwan is going to require the United States to fight. We're not fighting in Ukraine. This isn't our war. We don't have American soldiers fighting in Ukraine, and no one's advocating sending American soldiers to fight in Ukraine. We're spending money on the American defense industrial base in order to give Ukraine equipment to fight Russia, which has identified us as an enemy and constantly talking about the desire to destroy NATO. We're we're showing that we are extremely reluctant to spend money to help Ukraine fight off an attack by Russia. Now we're going to have to tell the Chinese... That we weren't prepared to spend money, but we are prepared to spend our blood to defend Taiwan. That's going to be a hard sell. And the Chinese are noticing that and the Russians are also noticing that. And the Russians are looking at this and Putin is in a very triumphant mood and his actions have become more aggressive. And I don't just mean his actions in Ukraine. I mean, his actions toward other NATO states and toward other uh, states on Russia's borders have become more aggressive.
0: Yeah, there there was just reports out that the number of Russian or that Putin plans to increase the number of Russian troops along its border with the Baltic states and Finland, which are all part of NATO, to like double the troops along that border. Do you think that's true? And is that the type of action you're seeing Putin already taking? What do you think that means?
1: Well, he is doing that. That is true. They are the Russians are building up along the Baltic frontier and also along the Finnish uh, border. But that's actually less alarming to me than what they're doing within the Baltic states. They are inventing these narratives of oppression of Russian minorities in these countries and asserting Russia's right and obligation to defend Russian compatriots in these countries in exactly the same kind of language and tone that they used for years to set conditions for their invasions of Ukraine. I'm very concerned that the Russians are setting conditions to be able to conduct hybrid operations in these NATO countries for the purpose of demonstrating that NATO might not come to the defense of a member state threatened by a hybrid operation and just therefore picking at the core of the alliance now without even invading. This is the conditions that we're seeing them set right now.
0: And let's lay it out for people that NATO depends on one of us being attacked, we all come to... The defense of that country. Can you explain that a little bit and, and how Russia is is trying to uh, prove that wrong, as you were just saying?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you have put your finger on it. The, look, the, the key provision of NATO, the rock solid provision of NATO that, that makes the alliance what it is, is Article 5, which says an attack on one is an attack on all, and effectively commits all member states to come to the defense of a state that has been attacked. The reality is that that article does not generate automatic action, though. The way that it actually works is a state that is attacked, a NATO member state that is attacked, has to go to the North Atlantic Council, the governing body of NATO, and request to activate Article 5. And then the alliance has to vote to activate the alliance on behalf of the attacked state. So there's not some automatic provision that if a NATO country is attacked, we're automatically at war. We all have to choose to honor Article 5, to honor that collective defense provision. And what Putin is seeking to do is to demonstrate that that might not always be true and to create circumstances that are less than a full-scale Russian invasion, but that are a Russian hybrid operation of a sort that we all know that it's a Russian attack, but there's enough cover that maybe somebody says, well, you know, we're not going to activate Article 5. And as soon as that happens, the alliance is dead. It's over. It's over. And the moment the alliance is dead, it's game on for the Russians to push the reconquest of the Russian empire, not just the Soviet empire, but the Russian empire, which is Putin's stated objective.
0: Coming up. So what would it really mean for the U.S. if NATO falls apart? And what's the argument against sending Ukraine more American assistance? Fred Kagan answers those questions and more coming up. But first, a quick break for our sponsors. Taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why, for the last year, I've been drinking AG1 daily. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel energized. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I often feel like I'm juggling a lot between work and family, so it's good to know that I have AG1 to give me that extra boost of energy and cover my nutritional basis with high-quality ingredients. Plus, I can keep up the habit without a lot of hassle. I need something quick and convenient, but also beneficial, and AG1 is just that. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com newsworthy. That's drinkag1.com newsworthy. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by ZocDoc. I recently saw someone posting online about how they fired their doctor, or in other words, stopped being a patient because they just didn't feel heard or cared about. And I can relate. I've done that before. And I think it's a good thing to do if it's not the right fit. Because when it comes to our health and the doctor we choose to trust, there are no compromises. We deserve to have a doctor we feel comfortable with, who listens, and who prioritizes our health. And if you need help finding that type of doctor, check out ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. And these docs all have verified reviews from real patients. Plus, you can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, live near you, and treat the type of condition you need to discuss. It's where I go whenever I'm searching for a new doctor, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com Newsworthy and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C, ZocDoc.com slash Newsworthy. ZocDoc.com slash Newsworthy. Okay, now back to our conversation. So if the NATO alliance were to collapse, that would actually leave the U.S. on its own as well, right?
1: Well, you know, I I think people were having a hard time imagining the consequences that would flow from having Europe become a major theater of war, whether the United States is fighting or not. Europe is a massive, massively important trading partner of the United States. Our security would be at risk, but our economy would suffer horribly. And this is one of the things that as we talk about, well, you know, why should people in the middle of the country, you know, poor people who are who are worried about making ends meet, why should they be worried about all this stuff? This doesn't really affect them. It will. It will hurt those people because the American economy will suffer very badly, even if we choose to stay out of the war for a time.
0: So what what is the argument being made to not provide this additional aid?
1: People are asking important questions about the degree to which there is proper oversight to make sure that the aid is not being diverted and is going to its intended purposes. People are asking reasonable questions about how much we're spending on this aid compared to other important uh, needs of the American people. And I think there are a lot, again, I think there are a lot of very valid questions that people are asking that deserve answers. And I think one of the problems we're having is that we're living in such a polarized political environment that sometimes the questions are not posed in a reasonable and civil fashion. And a lot of times the answers are not presented in a reasonable and, and civil fashion. And I think, you know, look, I mean, this is going to sound hopelessly naive. And I promise you that I'm, I'm not this naive. But I am going to say that our country is going to continue to suffer very badly as long as we are incapable of respecting people who disagree with us and accepting challenges to things that we think are very important, and engaging in civil conversation with people who ask questions that deserve reasonable answers.
0: To that point, what role, if any, do you think the upcoming presidential election plays in all of this?
1: Obviously, the presidential election uh, plays a huge role. Yeah, It always does. Anytime you're in a presidential election season, that becomes very dominant. I was not surprised when Republican support for Biden administration policies toward Ukraine began to falter. It's natural for the opposition party to oppose the president's policies. I actually was frankly surprised at how long bipartisan support for Ukraine lasted. I think it's unfortunate that the degree, let me just put it this way, looking at the Biden administration policy toward Ukraine, there are lots of grounds on which to criticize it. I personally criticize it on grounds of being too slow to provide Ukraine with what it needs to defeat Russia. And I think that that is a position that a traditional Republican party and a traditional Republican candidate would have taken. And I think that that would have been a way of being in opposition to the president, to President Biden, that would have been uh, reflected America's interests and values uh, better than a position that instead goes further than Biden in wanting to take actions that will actually allow Russia to win.
0: Going back to NATO, it has launched its largest military exercise since the Cold War. Do you think that that is making a difference, trying to show Putin that that NATO is sticking together?
1: I think it's important for NATO to exercise because NATO has to take seriously the possibility that it might have to fight a war again. And that is a collective failure of NATO and American leadership that we've gotten ourselves from a point in 1991 where we simply did not have to worry about fighting Russia again, to a point where we actually actively have to prepare for the possibility that the Russians might attack and might have to defend. Uh, so the exercise is important from that perspective. The exercise by itself is not sending any signal to the Russians that matters. The Russians are fighting a war, and they're fighting to win. And we're he- we've been helping the Ukrainians stop the Russians from winning. But it's looking like our will to do that might be breaking. That's the only message the Russians care about right now. And there's no way to offset that message with exercises or anything else frankly.
0: Is there any way to make a prediction now of how or when this conflict in Ukraine ends?
1: If the US doesn't provide any more military assistance, the conflict is likely to end in Russian victory and we get simply a discussion of the scale of the Russian victory. Timeline could be a year, could be a couple of years. It's hard to say exactly. Victory could be anything from uh, massive Russian land gains all the way to Russian forces standing on the western Ukrainian border uh, with multiple NATO states. Those are the stakes. And unfortunately, I think that's the likeliest outcome if the United States cuts off uh, military assistance now and doesn't resume it. If the U.S. provides military assistance, then that option, that outcome is off the table the Ukrainians will will be able to hold the Russians at least where they are, if not push them back uh, and liberate important territories. Basically, the forecast cone runs all the way from Ukraine could, in principle, liberate all of its uh, sovereign territory to Russia could occupy all of its sovereign territory. And a lot of those forecast outcomes depend very heavily on whether the U.S. continues to provide military assistance now.
0: One final thought or takeaway as we wrap up today.
1: Americans need to understand how important this war is to America. This isn't about helping Ukraine as an altruistic undertaking. This is about helping a country that has been attacked by our enemy defeat our enemy in a way that significantly reduces the likelihood that our own forces will have to fight for our own interests against this enemy.
0: Well, thank you so much to Fred Kagan for sharing his analysis with us. For regular updates and assessments involving Russia's war on Ukraine and to track other conflict zones around the world, check out criticalthreats.org. We'll, of course, continue to provide key updates about the war and the ongoing debate in Congress about sending more aid in our regular weekday episodes, where we provide 10-minute news roundups. For now, we'll be back on Monday with all the news you need to know. Until then, thanks again for being here and have a great weekend.